This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McCray. Joe Caffey is our guest, and we talk about inflation and rising interest rates. What can farmers expect for the rest of 2022, and how can we prepare for the current economic environment? Joe shares his insights of what he sees as president and CEO of First State Bank, which serves customers in northern Indiana. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, and it's brought to you by Pivot Bio. One of the biggest concerns for farmers are rising input prices, and at the top of many lists is nitrogen. Even with higher prices, you still need nitrogen, of course, and in today's world, I'm looking for ways to increase bushels while still using more sustainable farming methods. That led me to Pivot Bioproven 40, which can produce up to the equivalent of 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen. Our field demonstrations show an opportunity for a better ROI and a reduction of synthetic nitrogen. Turn to a better nitrogen with Pivot Bio. I hope you'll learn more. Just go to pivotbio.com. Inflation and interest rates are certainly on the mind of many of us in agriculture and outside the industry as well. With the Federal Reserve raising interest rates as a way to perhaps curb inflation, it remains to be seen the impact that move will have. Will we continue to see a robust economy, or are we experiencing the first signs of a recession? And with higher input costs, many in agriculture now need more capital to make purchases. How should farmers consider working capital and long-term investments like land in light of rising interest rates? Those are just some of the topics Joe and I cover on this edition of the show. Joe Caffey is once again my guest. He is president and CEO of the First State Bank, headquartered in Middlebury, Indiana. They've got a few locations in that part of the state. Always good to visit with Joe and catch up on what's going on in agriculture and banking in his area. Joe, give me an update. I've heard that the eastern U.S. has been pretty cold and and wet. Is that the case for the farmers in your area? It is 100% accurate. I'm pleased to share my planting report for the northern tier of Indiana is likely a big fat zero today, Andrew. <laughs> it, does that mean that people are getting worried yet at this point? I think there is a little bit of consternation. I've talked to a few farm customers. I've, I've talked to my dad, who's about, I don't know, 50 to 80 miles south of here. Um, so in that community in here, it would be similar. People are getting concerned as we get ready to flip the calendar to May that there's really no field work done to speak of. So we visit about this time every year, and as we look back a year and now coming up to this point, we have certainly seen some economic factors change. I would say that you would probably tell me inflation and interest rates are going to be the two main factors, but as you look back a year to the point now, what is the biggest or what are the biggest changes you're seeing as you think about ag customers that uh, you deal with there? Yeah, I think that the inflation in the overall economy has to lead when you have those kind of discussions. You know, year over year, they keep talking about inflation rates around six and a half percent. Well, what you got to remember when they talk about that core inflation, they don't factor in energy and food. And if you've been to the gas pump or, or refueled the diesel tanks on the farm or been to the grocery store, 
you know that uh, inflation is trending higher than that. In fact, factoring those in, we're probably about eight and a half percent year over year across the board. And there are certainly some industries, including some of the agriculture supplies and inputs that we, uh, we're putting in the barn right now, probably exceed that total. And so we're having those kind of conversations with producers out there, and they may be asking for more on their lines of credit. We're sort of talking through what that may mean. Now, on the flip side, if you look at commodity prices today, there are some opportunities, I think, in the commodity market. So I think every year uh, in this conversation, we talk about the importance of a producer knowing their break-even price. There again, it's important to know your break-even price. And if you can lock in some profits now for fall delivery, uh, I would encourage you to start doing some of that along the way. Well, certainly it's taking more dollars to buy things. But as you mentioned, most farmers are receiving more dollars for what they have to sell. So for the most part, is the margin between those staying at least constant, if not growing? Or what are you finding? You know, I think that remains to be seen because everybody everybody's margin tends to be a little bit different uh, based on their cost of production. How much debt are they carrying? So how much interest expense comes with that? You know, a second factor to your to your or answer to your first question, something that's changed a great deal are interest rates, even in the last 90 days, uh, there's been a market increase. Is the Fed increased that overnight borrowing rate at their last meeting from 0.25 to 0.5, um, that raised the prime rate, which most producers probably saw an increase uh, on their line of credit rate, or perhaps they've bought a farm since then and uh, mortgage rates are higher. You know, I, I uh, in our industry, it, it's a trying time to say the least, like a lot of industries. And I got home from work one night last week. And my wife said, man, you look exhausted. I said, well, I said, every deposit customer is wondering why we haven't raised deposit rates. We're still flush with cash, haven't needed to. And every loan customer still think rates are 3% like they were at the end of the year. Um, and quite honestly, borrowing rates aren't there. They, they've exceeded that since that Fed meeting. The market's actually built in a couple price increases already into the current pricing. And so when the, when the Fed, Federal Reserve Board, gets together again May 3rd and 4th, uh, we're anticipating probably another 50 basis point increase, uh, which have been factored in some of the longer term borrowing rates. But that short term, uh, guys will start getting up to their floor above their floor and see a rate increase along the way. This is a big macroeconomics type of question, but do you think that the raising of interest rates does end up curtailing inflation? Because there's some that say the two really aren't hooked together that uh, that tightly. So what do you think? You know what? It depends on what economists you listen to and probably what day you listen to them. Um, I think they're doing it because they don't know what else to do, uh, quite frankly, yeah, that, you know. They are simultaneously shrinking their balance sheet. So they're, they're selling off securities, which they built up during the last recession. They were buying securities like crazy. They're liquidating some of them. I've never been asked to be on the Federal Reserve Board. If, if I were, my vote would probably be let's shrink the balance sheet first, see if that has the desired impact we want. And, you know, they keep talking about getting to a neutral rate. And uh, I was listening to Mary Daly, who's president of the San Francisco Fed, recently, who has a seat on the on the Federal Reserve Board. And she kept talking about that neutral rate of two and a half percent, meaning that's the rate we need to get to to curb inflation. Well, when real inflation is eight and a half percent, does two and a half percent get that? I, I'm not sure that it does, because frankly, with the last interest rate hike, 
we certainly didn't see a, a slowdown in manufacturing or agricultural investment or retail investment in our book of business. In fact, we're, we're as busy on the loan side as we've been. So as we look out there, and again, this may be more just speculation, but what ends up then curtailing inflation? Is it just the influx of money that we've had put into the economy over the last two years, and we've kind of got to churn through that, and so to speak, to get through this inflation that we have right now? I think it is. You know, there have been an incredible amount of government stimulus programs for individuals, for businesses, for municipalities, and some of those are overlooked along the way. At least what we've seen on our balance sheet, a lot of that money has stayed parked in checking accounts because they're waiting on rates to go up or they're, or they're shy of making some, some new investments in machinery or equipment, whether that's on the farm or in the place of a, a manufacturing concern. We're starting to see some of that ease out. Our cash position has come down some in the bank. Historically, the banking system is still flush with, with cash. And so working through that overabundance um, will probably be critical. You know, we're, we're, in a, we're in a situation right now where if you look at the T-bills, the we're, we're inverted on the yield curve, meaning 10-year T-bills are less expensive than shorter-term T-bills, which, which is usually a, a forward sign or a signal of a pending recession. And so some of the banking economists that we pay attention to are saying, you know, six to nine months, we could enter a recession. Um, that would probably solve inflation along the way. But it's, uh, you know, the, the Federal Reserve Board saying it's different this time. We're not going to cause a recession. I guess that remains to be seen. I, I've, I've been through these cycles. Um, I'm not as optimistic as some of them are, unfortunately. Well, you mentioned the inverted uh, yield curve, but we have seen that a time or two here over the last few years. And, and you're right, that usually signals recession, but it hasn't yet. But perhaps that's because we had this COVID deal in the middle of it that upended everything. Andrew, I, th I think that's the great unknown in this is the pandemic has impacted many things. It's impacted financial markets. It's impacted people's expectations about work and work-life balance and where they go to work. Um, you know, it's impacted our economy in a great deal of ways. And China's still struggling mightily with getting it under control, which is still impacting the supply chain on the back end. So, you know, I think I've told you before that here in Elkhart County, Indiana, where we're based in the northern tier of the state, right in the smack dab middle, 80% um, of the world's recreational vehicles are manufactured. In fact, you may hear them rolling by my office uh, during this interview heading out of town to be delivered. They're, they are building them. They tell me they have orders for all of them that they're building. They have slowed down production a little bit, but they're still building more capacity to build more units. Um, their struggle remains to be on the supply chain end of things. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of their components are being manufactured overseas, and it's just still tough to get some of that, which further perpetuates the buildup of cash and accounts because they, they can't, they don't need to pay for accounts payable if they can't get material. Do you think, you know, we certainly see the, the situation here in this country with inflation and interest rates. What do we see globally, though? You know, we aren't isolated. And from what I understand, it's a, a very similar situation in a lot of countries. And some economists tell us, or tell me at least, you should be thankful you're fairly well off where you're at here. Yeah, I, I think we lose sight of that oftentimes. And you look at the U.S. economy, it's been quite robust throughout COVID. Our local economy, Indiana state economy, and the national economy in general ha has been pretty robust throughout. You know, um, 
you don't have to look too far uh, to to a country like Ukraine, who uh, just the events there and the invasion from from Russia and how that's impacting things. And you know, I think we forget about the Ukrainian agricultural sector, which is pretty important to that part of the world. How's that going to affect us in the long term? Um, how's it going to affect the food supply that's out there? Is something to take into consideration as well. So, yeah, globally. Uh, you know, there remains concern, I think, about the general economy and the world is, is really smaller than ever when it comes to those things. Let's come back close to home here. As you think about producers here, what would you tell them are the things to, to think about most? Because certainly we are giving more for inputs and machinery and, and land, all of these different things. So uh, we still have to do business, though, and we're doing business at higher prices. So are there things that I should be thinking about more in this economic time, do you think? I, I don't think it's a lot different than any other economic time. Um, agricultural producers deal with a whole bunch of different factors that they have little to no control over. If you factor in the weather, uh, the endpoint pricing can be a challenge. So anything you can do to control some of your input, input costs, interest expense, whether that's locking something in a little bit longer right now than maybe you had considered before, um, you know, how can you ensure that, that some of those expenses that you may be able to have some margin of control over, you can go ahead and take advantage of? What should I be thinking about when it comes to interest rates? I know I'm in a time when things are probably going to keep creeping higher, it looks like. Well, I think, number one, keep in mind banks financial institutions still have money to lend. There is a lot of cash in the system. So we're looking for we're looking for good top quality loans. Um, don't be afraid to ask your lender if you can lock something in maybe longer than you have before. Um, you know, get creative in, in, in how you present that to them. Um, but if you can control that expense, I, sometimes I think it's worth paying a little bit more for that longer term assurance of what that rate may be. I'm interested in your thoughts as being a community bank. Certainly, there are a lot of lending opportunities out there for farmers uh, from a lot of different places and some where I might not even meet people face to face. So what would be your thoughts about how community banks now function in this world in which I think a lot of farmers right now are bombarded with a lot of offers from a lot of places. So what is your place and and how do you continue to, to stay relevant in this market as a community bank? When I was eight or 10 years old, uh, I invested in cattle for the very first time. We might chuckle about whether that was a good decision or not. Uh, But when I started down that path, my grandfather, uh, he gave me some advice. He said, don't ever buy a steer without walking or getting poop on your shoes. Um, and, And I've always remembered that. His point was go see it, know exactly what you're buying. You know, I would give that same advice You know, as a community bank, I'm all the time telling our lenders, get out in the farmyard, sit at the kitchen table, look these folks eye to eye, face to face. It's going to be easier to collect the loan if you've got that relationship, if things get rough. On the flip side, it's going to be easier to talk to your lender if you know them when times get tough and and interact that way. You know, typically community banks, uh, we will work hard. Uh, with our customers to get them through tough times. That doesn't mean there aren't unhappy endings. There are, 
but uh, boy, the, the happy ones far outweigh. So when you when you select a lender or you're looking to make a change in a financial institution, boy, make sure they're not, you know, Johnny come lately to the agriculture industry. I want to know that they understand what to do with my grain check. Um, some banks don't. Um, I want to know that everyone in that institution from the CEO down to, to tellers or, or folks taking care of my, my loan documentation understand what happens on a farmstead. Do you think because times have been relatively good in agriculture now for an extended period that we have lost sight of the importance of a relationship because relationship, when things are going well, I don't think it probably seems to be top of mind for a lot of people. Yeah, that, that could easily be, whether that is your banker or your, your seed rep or, or fertilizer dealer. And when those prices go up, whether it's interest or those inputs, it's easy to seek a lower cost provider. Um, but oftentimes you get exactly what you pay for when you seek those lower cost providers along the way. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of opportunities out there. Things are changing. Do you find that, you know, with your community bank, are you having to do things differently over time to just stay uh, up to date, if you will, with the demands out there in the marketplace? Oh, yeah, we certainly are. There is no question. You know, I've been doing this for about 20 years and uh, creativity comes into play much more often. Um, you know, I, I have distinct memories of, of watching my father go into the bank when he needed to do something for our farm operation, sort of with his hat in his hands and almost embarrassed or, or not wanting to ask for money. Now we're driving up and down the countryside trying to find loans. Um, and so that negotiating is important. Uh, competition is stiff for the best loans along the way. And not only that, our, our workforce is changing in general. Uh, you know, we're headquartered in Middlebury, Indiana, a town of 3,000 people. I now have remote workers in three states because of COVID and, and how it changed. And banks have been real slow in the adoption of remote work, but I now have a, a systems administrator in central Illinois, and I have a loan processor, a couple of them in uh, Florida, that part of the world. So um, we are changing the way we do business along the way. Um, but at the end of the day, we're still a community bank who, who you know the people when you walk in the door. You mentioned labor there earlier. Are you f having any trouble finding the people to work in the banking system just to handle the day-to-day, -day, whether it's remote or just people on the ground there in the area? Yeah, we are. Uh, we're, we're like many industries um, in places where there are robust economies. And just last week, the Wall Street Journal published an article, and the number one job market in small towns in the United States is Elkhart and Goshen, Indiana, cities in which we have four offices in. Um, and so that's the, that's the best job market in, in, in the country in small communities, but it's also the toughest to hire people. One of the columns uh, in that article that stated why it's the best job market in the country, we also have the highest year-over-year -year, uh, hourly wage increase of anywhere in the nation right here. Um, and so there is pressure along the way to do those things. Um, it is tough to find people and it's hard to retain people. And I'm seeing that from some of our agricultural producers who hire seasonal labor mm -hmm. who are for, who have had full-time employees who uh, either can't get those seasonal folks or the full-time employees said, you know what, I can go to the RV factory, make a lot more money and probably leave at four o'clock every day. Um, so I think it's impacting our producers as well as here on Main Street. Well, what are those producers doing then? Are they just having to give more? Are they doing without? Or they, what are they doing to, to get by? I think some of them are certainly relying on the relationships they have. 
Um, I hear of uh, more high school kids being hired on the farm to do things. Uh, you know, in fact, all three of my children work for a, a neighboring flower farm. And uh, man, if I made the kind of money they're getting paid in high school to pull weeds, I don't know if I went to college, Andrew. It, it, it's it's wild. It really is. Um, so I think they're depending on the relationship with hopefully long time employees that they've had. Um, but it is hard to compete when some of the factories are paying, you know, Taco Bell down the street from here is paying eighteen fifty an hour and $500 sign-on bonus right now. Uh, that's difficult to compete with. Yeah, well, I, I saw a fast food restaurant the other day that uh, was offering $20 an hour to, to start. So, yeah, you're right. And I don't know how we cycle through that. Uh, you know, you're right that there are people that are working remotely. They're finding lots of options. I guess it's a good job market to be able to choose what you want to do. Yeah, that's the flip side. It's a great job market. And uh, I hope it exists in a few years when my kids start graduating college. <laughs> then they can pay you back, right? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be top of their list. <laughs> in the time we have remaining here, just w- look ahead this year. Um, we hope that we have good crops. We always do. Sure. Uh, as we go from springtime to fall time and, and harvest, where do you see us being at harvest? Certainly probably higher on interest rates. Yeah. Probably commodity price is still pretty good. You mentioned the war in Ukraine and so forth earlier. It looks like demand's still high. Uh, where are we headed? I think you hit on on two things that I would echo right away. Number one, I don't know where interest rates will be. I suspect, I know they're going to be higher than they are now. They've increased rapidly. I, I expect that to continue throughout the growing season. So managing that farm operating line of credit will, and any capital that, that you have is going to be real important along the way. I, I think commodity prices are going to hang in there, um, especially if we continue. I don't know if we have any delays in planting yet, but we're, we're rapidly approaching that point, uh, at least in this part of the world. I think uh, south of us, maybe 80 miles or so, some beans went in the ground yesterday. And that's really some of the first cropping uh, going in that I've heard of. But it, it, as we get further into this spring season, start losing maybe some growing degree days along the way, um, you're going to see maybe even more impact on those commodity prices. So we'll, we'll certainly hope for a, a perfect weather situation. We've been very fortunate the last few years to have excellent growing conditions in this part of the world with excellent yields, record-breaking yields. Um, The demand will be there for the product. It's just a matter of getting it out there and up. I always ask you usually about land prices there. Give me an idea of where we're at. I'm sure that those have not slacked up any since we last visited either. No, no. And I've got some firsthand experience. There was a 50-acre bare ground farm, dry land that sold literally next door uh, to my property here in Elkhart County uh, two weeks ago. And uh, it averaged $22,222 an acre on the 50. So, And that, that is farm ground. It will be farmed. Um, some of it will be farmed. I think a part of there may be a couple houses spring up on that. Okay. But yeah. if you moved out away a little bit from town, what would the farm ground still be giving if it was just going to go straight into farm ground? Would it get up near that 20000 an acre? Yeah, you're still probably, you know, I would guess you're still between 20 and 25. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, it's certainly a different place than we were, but, uh, you know, that's one of those things we often say, well, things are high, but then we go down the road a few years and say, well, that wasn't as high as I thought it was then. <laughs> I passed up on a lot of land I should have bought several years ago. That's exactly right. Yeah. Joe, I always appreciate the time and uh, always look forward to hearing what's going on out there. Hopefully some folks will be able to get some crop in the ground sometime soon and uh, get things rolling out there. Thanks, Andrew. Always a pleasure to see you and visit. I always appreciate Joe's insights and outlook. He knows farming and banking well. He's been around both for practically all of his life. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Remember, you can hear all of our shows at farmingthecountryside.com, on many local radio stations, and on your favorite podcast platform. And you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook as well. If you've not done so already, be sure to check out totaltownmakeover.com, where you can find ideas for improving your small town and rural community. We have several TV, radio, and podcast features there with real-life success stories on how to help your local area. And be sure to connect with Total Town Makeover on Facebook, too. Our goal is to provide folks with the resources and ideas they can use to help the place where they live and perhaps inspire people along the way that small towns can survive and thrive. And don't forget, you can find our daily American Countryside radio features at AmericanCountryside.com and many local radio stations. I continue to hear from many of you via the web as you share about some of your experiences visiting some of those spots we feature on the show. We always appreciate your story ideas and insights we can share with others, so be sure to connect with us. Thank you for listening. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.